Mm-hmm. So you took this your new set of skills, your qualifications and, and helping people and you were on the front line. Absolutely. Well, it so happened that we'd heard that there was to be um, cold bed methane testing at Barton Moss and hadn't really, didn't know anything about fracking. And I sort of did some a crash course in research. It was absolutely horrified and looking at, you know, the damage that had been done in Australia and America and went down to Barton Moss to the protest there and got involved in walking the trucks. Um, and That's where you, you walk slowly and stop yeah, you going yeah. in. What yeah. you do is you actually do a slow walk down the lane with lots of other protesters, most of which were local people, people that had never, ever done this before. And so doing a slow walk to walk the chucks into the sites and then later out to the site. So there's a lot of people there that were actually living at the side of Barton Moss Lane in tents during winter. And it was a very harsh winter there, yeah. you know, and they'd never done this before and that were getting quite ill. And I'd started by just taking a few bits down like elderberry syrup and went on Facebook one day and somebody said, a lot of people are really sick. Do we know anyone that can help? And I thought, yeah, I can help. So I packed up all my dispensary in boxes, went down, went to this big tent and opened a clinic there and saw lots of people, but soon realised that if I was using my own herbs, which were very expensive to buy, I'd be bankrupt within a few weeks. And so applied to Lush and Lush. they make soaps don't they yeah is that right yeah they're an amazing company they're an amazing ethical company um and they provided some funding for, us, for me to get a dispensary and there's about three other herbalists came on board and there was danielle Kay, zoe naylor zoe blackwell and we opened this clinic in this tent um one very sort of cold day um in January and we, we went in there we had people sleeping on couches we had to move stuff and we had this constant stream of people sort of children you know um all day we even had a an LA um Times reporter came in and interviewed us yeah. so we're in the LA Times that evening with photographs and yeah it was it was pretty full-on so we were going down there about twice a week were you managing so you're still practicing and working yeah, outside well, of this yeah. and then in your free time, yeah, going and helping Absolutely, everybody. yeah. Yeah, because yeah. contrary to popular belief, people thought that it was just people on benefits went down there, but most people were actually working yeah. and juggling life around being able to go down there. So we were down there sort of running clinic, you know, dispensing medicines. I even dispensed a medicine to one of the BBC reporters as well there who wasn't feeling very well that was out there reporting. Yeah. Um, we, we stored our herbs in a coffin, can you believe? Right. We had this big coffin in the sort of this geodome and uh, we didn't have anywhere to put them. So we had them all sort of hidden in there. I was going to say, not many people are probably going to nick them, are they? They're going no, to... no, no. <laughs> it, it, was, it, was, it was like a, a sort of a fabricated one, not a real one. Yeah. And we put the herbs in there and, you know, we, we just dispensed the medicines and it was busy and we were there sort of dispensing as people were protesting and we were giving them warrior drops to calm them down and cough medicines and just anything we could, fireciders, anything we could to keep people healthy because people were very sick. You yeah. know, they were having chest infections, urine infections, skin problems, athlete's foot. And, you know, that sort of 10 months at Barton Moss was just incredible. People said we saved the lives, you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it wasn't quite as dramatic as that. But And this went on then. You, you did this for years, didn't you? Yeah, we did. When uh, Barton Moss finished, we went to um, Upton in Cheshire. We supported the protests there, um, the Yorkshire camps. There was other herbalists sort of took the lead down south as well at Horse Hill. And so with a lot of the, the protest camps, there was herbalists, not just me, you know, that were supporting them. One herbalist, Zoe Naylor, even lived on site. You know, we had a, we got a herbal caravan that 38 yeah. degrees sort of paid for. You know, so we had a, herb, we had a caravan on site. Um, and that sort of continued. And even when sort of there was a, a lull in the anti-fracking movement, we, we, we carried on sort of doing those clinics to some of the homeless squats in Manchester and to the activists there. I read this part of your story and that really touched me then. Yeah, yeah we did. You know, so Because you, you then carried on 
and yeah. help the homeless as well, which is... Uh, yeah, dispensing yeah. fire cider vinegar around people, sort of in Manchester, or going into the squats and making sort of like foot baths, you know, for people with athlete's foot or cough medicine, big, big batches of cough medicine yeah. for people and skin creams. And I went into a squat, it was about a year and a half ago, two years ago, and yeah. there was a guy on the street and he had like a staff, he looked like Gandalf and yeah. he had this big hat on and a lot of people were moving away from him and yeah. me, my nature was to move towards him and I wanted to talk to him and he was walking on the canal in um, just to the other side of Salford. Yeah. And I started talking to him and he said, well, come into my squat, you know, and have a look. Yeah. And so he took me inside and I chat with him and what a beautiful man. Now there's other people in this, the yeah. squat that weren't necessarily as nice as he was, you know, yeah. and I think he had to tolerate the noise and behaviour and such. Yeah. But, this guy wasn't harming anybody, had lots of interesting stories to tell. And yeah. some people see them as a, a blight on the community when they're in the squat and everything. He he just probably had some mental health problems, didn't exist yeah. very well in in the normal, you know, community and world and having a job and in that sense. But a beautiful soul. I felt yeah. very lucky to have spent a little bit of time with him, you know. I met some really nice people. I yeah. mean I mean some of the activists that were um, you know, taking over the buildings and you know taking homeless in were just such amazing people um and you know one sort of really young woman in particular um you know she was only about 18 was coming home from college and she was living out on the streets in tents to make and helping people build community um and, you know, other people as well that were, were just giving up their lives to take people into squats to help them come off things like spice, alcohol, yeah. and making sure that there was food there, there was somewhere to sleep. And they were under constant threat of eviction. They were being evicted, you know, and having to find somewhere else. You know, we went to some of those evictions to sort of support people as well. It was an incredible, incredible experience. I mean, one of the stories I've got was um, I made some cough medicine and um, it, I mean, it was a great teaching story for me. I made some cough medicine. A lot of it was from my own garden, from marshmallow and, and sort of elecampane I had growing there and took some bottles in. And, yeah. you know, a couple of weeks later, this guy said to me, he said, I love that cough medicine. He said, are you one of the wild sisters? Because that's what we called ourselves, the wild sisters. And I said, yeah, you know, and he said, well, that cough medicine was amazing. It helped me come off spice. And I was like, what? Wow. It helped you come off spice. And he went, yeah. He said, as soon as I took it in my body, he said, I felt it working and I felt the love and, you know, it just, it helped me sort of mm. come off spice. And I went home looking at the ingredients, looking at prescription thinking, what was in it that helped him come off spice? You know, was it the licorice, the marshmallow? And I couldn't work it out. And then I realised that it was about love. It was about the plants yeah. from a garden that were actually going into a homeless squat. Made, made with love. That was yeah. made with love. And he felt the love from the plants. Because when I pick, you know, plants, I do put a lot of intention in. Mm -hmm. And that was That's what he felt. Important. Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't any ingredients. It was just the fact that somebody had cared enough to actually make a medicine. And that there was those plants in there and those plant spirits that had gone into somewhere like this and were actually doing their job. Yeah. You know, we always said, it taught me. If we go up to Manjushri, the Buddhist temple we go to in the lakes yeah. in Overston, the food always tastes incredible. I mean, yeah. incredible. And we, we talked to somebody who made it and we yeah. just couldn't put our finger on it. And it was just because it was made with love. Yeah. You know, when that food's made, they, they'll put an intention. They'll yeah. meditate and they'll put an intention into the food and it's, it tastes, it can be the same ingredients as somewhere else and this tastes just beautiful. It's the same when you make medicine as well, you yeah. know, when you work with a plant and you give that intention to that plant you're working with and tell it what you want it to do. It works so much better. Um, an example is there was one of the guys at Preston New Road and he'd been dragged, you know, the protest, he'd been dragged across, across the aggregate. And his girlfriend had put um, a picture on Facebook of his back, of the wounds on his back. And it was quite a mess. And he'd been to hospital and he'd got a bit of iodine and he was in a lot of pain. And so I went out sort of on the fields. This is like ordinary fields in sort of Radcliffe and went sort of to pick some herbs. I picked daisy and plantain. And I asked the plants and I said, you know, 
can you can you do this for me for this man is protesting is protecting the land you know can we make a medicine that is going to help heal him so i made some daisy and plantain salve and put a little bit of myrrh essential oil into it and took it up to pnr and his girlfriend put it on his back and it was it was quite a mess i mean i'm an ex-nurse i've seen a lot of sort of uh, wounds and you could see this one was starting to get a little bit infected and it was sort of quite deep and I went back about eight days later there was complete healing new skin and a tiny bit of scab in the corner yeah I've never seen anything like that he anybody heal so quickly and for me it was working with that plant and stating that intention you know this is how our ancestors work they didn't just think this is a chemical that i'm going to put on this they work with the spirit of the plant and we have that documented in some of the ancient texts even with modern science where you have yeah. the placebo effect if two people take a tablet and one's got certain chemicals in and one's just a sugar pill but they yeah. believe it's it's about belief I think, and um, intention. And if they believe that's going to make them better, science now has accepted that that intention, that belief that it's going to make you better, it'll work oh, the yeah. same. Yeah. So that alone, then that supports the theory of if I'm giving you something, I intend it to make you better, despite irrelevant of the ingredients, which are going to help and everything else. But mm. the intention is really important. The belief and the intention are huge. They are. The I mean, I always, yeah. I always think as a herbalist, that you're an intermediary between the plants and the medicine of nature. I like that. And a yeah. person. Mm. And you're the one that is the one that is matching the herbs to the person. And if you can do that consciously and you can do that with love and with respect as well, because yeah. herbal medicine doesn't always come with respect, you know, uh, but and that's just absolutely, you know, accelerates the healing. I've seen amazing healing when you're working with protesters because it, it's almost like Mother Nature knows She's what helping are your doing. cause. Yeah. yeah, that people are giving up jobs, they're living out on the land, they're putting the bodies away, they're giving up the freedom. And when you start to match plants and people, something amazing and miraculous happens and it does. Yeah. Well, know. that's that goes down to the fact that we are part of this ecosystem. We're part of nature, not above it. As human we beings now, a lot of people think they are above nature and they try and control yeah. it and they use it for their own means instead of trying to control their environment, which is what they do now. We need to be part of that environment and exist within it rather than trying to change yeah. and control it. You know? Yeah. So. Well, we are, we, are, we are part of you know the earth. We are the earth. That's what mm. we're made of. But you like know. like an ant or a bee or a flower, we're just another ingredient in that recipe in nature. Yeah. And we're not this intelligent being that's in no. charge. It's just nonsense. Absolutely it nonsense. It is nonsense. Yeah. It is. You know, and you know, working with nature this way, it is about respect. Because I mean, it's not about seeing plants as commodities that you take, because we're mm. in this taker culture. You know, it's about reciprocal relationship, you know, and yeah. honouring the plants, they work so much better when you do that. Exactly. You know, for us. So, yeah, anyway, so I've, I've seen, I forget where we diversified from well, now, Patrick. we were, you were helping people that were fracking, who yeah. were protesting. And I was going to mention the fact that your partner, Pete, got arrested. He did, yeah, he got arrested in Bolton, actually. Right. Um, what was happening was that we what we decided to do, well, what we, we decided, what was happening was that people were trying to target the suppliers um, that were um, supplying um you know, sort of like, you know, the fracking pad, they were making the fracking pad. And so they were doing sort of like protests, you know. Um, so you mean like bringing in the concrete and the installation yeah. of the enabling works? That's right, yeah. So people, people drilling. were doing slow walks yeah. with the things coming out, which was matched by people doing slow walks and protesting coming in. So we're trying to, you can't stop that process, but you can delay it, Yes. you know. It can be highly inconvenient. Absolutely. And cost, cost money. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, we were we were on actually on our way to Preston New Road and we'd seen sort of like the, the protest in Bolton. And Pete said, I'll, I'll film it because he's a he's a he's a photographer, filmmaker. So I, I, you know, dropped him off, drove into Tesco's car park, you know, in Horwich, parked the car, went across the road and he was in cuffs. Yeah. And it was like... Well, he should have kept his clothes on, shouldn't he, Edwina? Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, what had happened was that um, Laurie, you know, right at the end of the protest, and he was filming and taking photographs, the lorry had just sort of... It just got caught by a lorry. So, yeah. which is, you know, maybe he was... It was just one of those things, but he'd actually got arrested. 
and you know it ended up sort of in the nick for about sort of 11 hours interviewed by counter-terrorism for doing nothing more than taking counter-terrorism yeah it's just ridiculous isn't it it was yeah it was all for 11 hours in there and uh he was convicted of obstruction um we were told he just got a fine did he or something yeah he got a fine but um he actually had um you know criminal record because of it and the sad thing was that when i mean i'll I'll talk a bit more sort of you know stuff here but when we actually went to the magistrates courts we were told that it wasn't the magistrates could deal with it we had to actually have our own anti-fracking judges at the the courts in manchester why is that it was just political decisions right so nobody could be tried by just ordinary magistrates, it had to be their own sort of judges. It's just a protest at the end of the day, isn't it? Like yeah, it was, like lots yeah. of other protests. I mean, Pete was only there for eight minutes. Yeah. So we did appeal Guilty. it. <laughs> yeah, we, Guilty. We, we, we appealed it and won, you know. You did? It, yeah, it was oh, actually, it went through the appeal with Bolton magistrates. Yeah. Two Bolton magistrates who said, well, we don't really understand why you were convicted in the first place. It's not obstruction. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's by the by, but, you know, bless him, it was quite a traumatic... Yeah, if experience. you've not been in trouble before, dealing with the courts and the police is yeah. can be a bit frightening, can't it? You know? Well, they had a com- complete clean record, you mm. know, to having something like that. And it was very traumatic for me, but it was, it was quite funny, actually, because we were at Bolton Police Station and he was inside. So lots of people, I decided, I didn't really know the, the procedure. So I just drove my car there waiting for him to be released. And lots of people joined me. Yeah. Lots of anti-frackers and other people. So we had this big vigil outside waiting for him. So what happened was people had music. There was loudspeakers there. Um, you know, there was dancing yeah. as well. Police thought it was a amazing. Yeah, there was a rave <laughs> outside. So pe- the police inside said to Pete, we've never seen anything like this. This is just like an ordinary Bolton police station. We've never seen anything like this before. And there was a couple of Asian lads came up to us and they went, what's going on? So we said, you know, we told them and they were shouting, free Pete, free Pete. (laughs) And putting it on Twitter, free Pete. (laughs) And, you know, so Pete came out to this sort of like mass of people. Police thought it was hilarious, actually. They were quite impressed. You know that there was this going on outside. They were they were really nice with him actually. Um, You've mentioned your kids a couple of times. Do you want to tell Autumn what your kids called? Zoe. Yes. Zoe Eliza Hodkinson. She's a folk singer. She's got an album out. Oh, okay. So, Didn't know this. How old is she? She's twenty three. She lives in Glasgow. Right. So, Say her name again, Zoe. Zoe Eliza. Okay. Um, is a stage name. So yeah, she's she's performed at the Met. She supported the Peat Bog Fairies. Right. Um, a few years ago there she's an amazing folk musician singer songwriter and my son is um he works in daventry he's um he's a design engineer mechanical engineer he worked for williams formula one for a year right. as well how yeah. old is he he's about 27 now 27 so he works right. for cosworth now but yeah he worked for williams formula one for right. a year. Well, i'm not surprised that you've got children that are successful but doing something that's quite exciting you know, it yeah. sounds like they're following the passions, you know. Yeah, they are, yeah. yeah. I mean, she works, my daughter works in a vet now as a receptionist. She's got a master's, but um, she's not been able to find the work she wants with lockdown. Yeah. So. Well, working with animals is <clears throat> fantastic, you know. Yeah. So, Edwina, I'm going to talk a little bit now about certain herbs. I can see you getting excited. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I love herbs, yeah. Go so, on, as you can tell. You obviously, you make your own ointments and salves and yeah. things like this. And I'm sure you're down to tell us about it. And also, I think now is a good point to maybe talk about mugwort. Oh. Well, I, yeah, I'll, I'll talk about herbs generally. Okay. Sort of. One of the things I am really passionate about is the herbs that grow in this land. And I think when you talk about herbal medicine or even people who sort of, you know, use herbs at home. We often think about herbs from exotic places, you know, you know, from shamans sort of in somewhere else. Peru and all this. Peru or things that are, you know, from other cultures or that are grown in specifically botanic gardens in this country. But what we do, we have forgotten is that we're surrounded by herbs and medicines, you know. You just have to go outside your back door and they're there. And we have this whole culture of really sort of powerful, amazing medicines that, you know, we we hardly sort of use. And as a herbalist, one of my journeys in herbal medicine has been to really focus on native medicines, particularly those that grow around us. And 
talking about mugwarts. You know, this is going on to the sacred. I medicine. just think of hogwarts whenever you yeah, say hogwarts, mugwort. Yeah, 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 mugwort. There's lots of warts at the end of plants, you know, yeah. and and things. But all wart means is something that's sort of a medicine. Really, it's an ancient right. name for something she's medicinally. So mugwort is 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 one of our really sacred medicines from this land. And it's named after the goddess Artemisia because the Latin name is Artemisia vulgaris. So that is a goddess of women and children. And so you can imagine from that name itself that, you know, this is quite a special herb for women. And it is. It's a great women's herb, you know, for regulating periods and, yeah. um, you know, for sort of PMS. And, you know, right through that sort of journey that a woman has, you know, from sort of childbirth um you know to, to everything and but this herb is so much more you know it's a digestive herb you know it's a great herb for anxiety and depression but what people don't realize is that it's also the same family as the native american sage you know the white right. sage yeah. you, get, you know that we used to smudge with yeah yeah well, we have that in our house yeah yeah so yeah. this is our version same family you know when you actually smudge with it it does the same thing beautiful smell it's used in moxibustion in, in acupuncture and it's right here in bolton in the northwest it grows alongside the lanes the m62 the m6 and it is amazing amazing herb which i always think everybody should know about because you know for those that like to use white sage why not use our version it does the job so well and it does it better and so what does mugwort treat what's it good for what does right. it do well medicinally it's yeah. great for it's a herb of journeys yeah a herb of sort of like women's journeys so you know great for things like period problems regulating periods yeah um anything to do with the menstrual cycle you know it's also good it's a bitter aromatic bitter so great for supporting digestion you know has been used traditionally for things like you know, um, bacterial infections of the guts, you right. know, sort of worms, supportive of the liver. It's good for depression, anxiety. It's good for um, things like fever management as well. So, um, you know, when you said, for example, when we had the pre-show chat that yeah. it opens, maybe it can lift the veil into the realms. Do. Well, how, it's, how does that happen? It's a shamanic herb as well. So going back to the sacred uses... Yeah, it's good for clearing space. It's good for clairvoyance, opening the third eye. People use it for divination, creating sacred space. So you can imagine this is a herb that you might want to use when you're doing sacred work, um, you know, sort of magical work, you know, shamanic work. It's a herb of journeys. It's a herb of dreaming. Yeah. You know, when people, one of the things that people notice when they start to work with mugwort is your dreams become more lucid. Yeah, I'm interested in that aspect. That you start yeah. to remember those dreams. And of course, dreams are those times in which you can touch the divine, the sacred, which you can learn things, you know, you can sort of, you can connect with the other world. Yeah. And so I, I think dream, dreams are massively important in untangling the subconscious a lot of things that the human brain can't deal with and process we deal with in dream state well mugwort can help you do that mm. you know and but also people think that lucid dreaming is about nighttime dreaming as well it's about daytime dreaming so for a lot of people when you start to work with mugwort either when you you smudge with it when you drink it in tea tincture or even just having it about you and when you start to work with intention mugwort can help you access sometimes those deeper thoughts it can help lift the veils in, increase the increase your, perce your perception of yeah. sort of the sacred as well it can help you go deep it can help you sometimes work with those questions those spiritual questions you have see something that's quite amazing to me as well is and this yeah. is more about this is to do with belief and intention what we yeah. talked about you know like making things with love etc when I did Cambo, yeah. as I was doing Cambo, I started to feel the effects of the Cambo before I took the Cambo because yeah. I was preparing my body and my mind for doing that. And the shaman that I did that with said that it's very common to feel that because you have that intention and the ceremony takes place and you start to feel it before you've even ingested it, you know, because you just need to be around it or in that space. Yeah, with, with mugwort being in that space. But one of the ancient blessings is do you remember mugwort? you know, that she helps you 
um, learn that which needs to be made known. She, the Kurdish, her ancient name is Una, which, which means the one, the mother of all herbs. I'll have to find, I should have brought the verse with me, actually. It's pretty You should have awesome. brought some mugwort with you. I would have uh, happily it's, it's tried a great herb. That, but, the thing yeah. is, with mugwort, it doesn't make you high. It no. doesn't make you hallucinate. It's just the sacredness of helping yeah. you remember what is, helps you access knowledge helps you access your own body's wisdom helps you access something else that yeah. knowledge and ancient people knew that because it was in that verse it's about helping you remember stuff yeah. see that yeah little monologue there we're explaining it and stuff i'm fascinated and it's something yeah. i think it sounds amazing so. i think i've got it one of my, i actually wrote it down for my facebook posts yeah and i know this is not just an experience that i've had and that pete's had it's an experience that lots and lots of people are having with mugwort because it's it's there it's and ancient people would have known about this experience with mugwort um it's it's about that connection to the sacred but the sacred knowing as well with mugwort it's it's such an amazing herb and what i notice how is that because i've done lots of tastings with mugwort and smudging with it and how when people taste it for the first time or smell it it's familiar people say this feels really it smells familiar it feels familiar it tastes familiar there's a familiarity about it and it's as though it's this ancient knowing within us that knows about mugwort it's something that's deep and ancestral but it's about here that's the beauty about mugwort Mm. it's not about going to the rainforest or any Anywhere else, it's here and it's on our own doorstep. Yeah, you with this mugwort. You mentioned the menopause and uh, yeah. with women and other things. You did a, a wise woman group at the Harmony Hub in Charlie. Right, yeah, because so, I've been to the Harmony Hub a lot, and I've yeah. also done a session there. I've taught there. I know Liz Whittle very well. Oh, Liz is amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and. I didn't know, but you obviously frequent there as well. Yeah, yeah I started running a menopause class. Um, this is the wise woman, is Wise it? woman yeah. rising. Because for me, people talk about the menopause as though it's something that is really to be dreaded. That it's a time it's all downhill from here. It's a terrible experience. And I always like to think of the menopause as something which is about an ancient transition between a woman from her fertile years to a wise woman years. And like all ancient rites of passage or transition, it's not always easy. It has its challenges because your body's changing, you're changing. Yeah. I keep saying, I'm nodding like I know, but obviously I, I don't know that exact experience. But, yeah. but I know about getting older and changing. Yeah, it is. And it, yeah. it's about a transition because we're, we're told in our culture that we're supposed to stay young and fertile forever but and there's this transition this other third part of a woman's life which has really been sort of downplayed we're told to fear it's been despised and the menopause and that time which comes after is a really amazing part of a woman's life it's a time when we enter our wisdom years when the bullshit filters Mm -hmm. sort of like drop when we are able to go into a different space. I mean, you think about killer whales and killer whales, when they have a very similar sort of lifespan to us and the female killer whale goes through a menopause. Not many animals do that, creatures do that, but the killer whale does it. Yeah. And when she gets to the menopause and she ceases to be able to be fertile, she swims right to the front of the pub and becomes the leader because she has the experience to actually help her pod survive yeah and to lead them to the food to know how to teach the young and the the males in that pod support her and for me that is what happens to you know human females yeah we should be the ones that are swimming to the front not swimming but they're going to the front of our communities and that becoming leaders um because we have experience in life we have care and we do a lot of us do things from a heart-centered place as well we have the interests of our communities at heart and you know this is a time of a woman's power and one this group that i want i was starting to run just before lockdown we've done about three sessions is in working with um herbal medicine and skills in actually be able to look at 
um, ways of dealing with the challenges of the menopause because it can be a very challenging time for women. Yeah. You know, in terms of things like hot flushes, night sweats, anxiety. I know about the, the hot list, flushes. Yeah. Not me personally, but yeah. I, I've been around that, yeah. That's it. The list goes on and on, you know. I think people have documented about 38 symptoms of menopause. I think it's sort of more, you know. I think it's being able to stand in your power sometimes and say no and say that is bullshit I'm not putting up with that anymore mm -hmm. you know for me that's one of the symptoms of the menopause that a lot of women have and so it was trying to find ways to help women navigate through this not just in working with herbal medicine in to help with the challenges but also being able to step into that power and to use um, because I'm a shamanic practitioner as well being able to use that journey work which is part of those wise woman skills is to be able to access the the otherworldly realms to bring back our own wisdom. Yeah. I like the way you say it. when you go through the menopause, then some of the positive effects of it are you, this bullshit filter. Yeah, the bullshit. Yeah, you're able to take bullshit, you know, or yeah. not put up with bullshit yeah. or to say no or to not really be so self-conscious in a way that that holds you back because you know that you are going out of that state of being sometimes in the home and, you know, bringing up your families yeah. to actually going out there in the world and wanting to make a difference. Uh, certainly from know. my experience, women that have been through the menopause and as they get a bit older become much wiser. Yes. Much wiser. They, much, they gain great wisdom. They do. And you're able to say no and stamp your feet and say, no, this is not right. This is not good enough. This is not what I want for the future of my community, for my family, for my children. And just digressing a little bit, going up to Preston New Road, a lot of the protests there was full of older women who were stamping the feet and saying, no, we're not standing for this anymore. You know, we're not standing for fracking. We're not standing for these political decisions. Well, I think they start to think about the next generation do, yeah. more than the people. Yeah, you and know. you stamp your foot and you say, no, we're yeah. not putting up with this. And I think that's why older women and postmenopausal or menopausal women have become so scary. Well, they can be. The contemporary <laughs> culture, because we're saying no, you know. We yeah. want a better future for our communities, you know. So this was the basis of Wise Women Rising, being able to help women to stand in their own power, to look at skills to navigate, you know, this transition but to also look at their own wisdom and knowledge. And as a shamanic practitioner, I think there's a lot of wisdom that can be gained um, for all of us to be actually to yeah. work with our own deep intuition and deep knowledge. So because you've mentioned the shamanic practitioner, yeah. now maybe tell us a little bit about breathwork and gaps. I don't even know what gaps Ooh, is. Well, breathwork, as part of my shamanic practitioner training, which was at Lendrick yeah. Lodge in Scotland, part of that, I mean, our tutors up there were really quite keen on getting us to sort our own shit out. And so you're not sort of projecting your stuff onto others, yeah? Yeah. Which quite often we do, don't we, even yeah. as healers. And so we spent a whole week learning how to breathwork practitioners, and it's about using the breath, which is quite a fast, rapid, shallow breath, to actually dislodge some of those traumas yeah. and things that we have in our bodies and actually move them out. And so we were doing a whole week of dry breath work, which was quite powerful in doing quite a fast breath, sometimes for about 20 minutes, half an hour, supported by people into dislodging yeah. and moving some of those traumas and wet breath work as well in a pool of 40 degrees underwater with the snorkel on. Because if you do yeah. breath work uh, for long periods, you can have altered states of consciousness. Absolutely. You know, you can have a very powerful experience and shift negative energies that have been trapped for years. There's, yeah. there's amazing things can happen. It's powerful, is mm. breath work. Absolutely powerful. I mean, I knew that during my training that we had to do, that we had the choice to do this week or it was a different week in the sorting your own shit stuff out. Yeah. And ended up doing this one and was quite sceptical about it, you know, until we did the first breath work. And that was the most amazing journey I have ever done in my life. I was there at the well of life, you know, the, the base of the, the world tree at the well of life. I thought I was going to die that moment. I, I was I was at the, the world tree and at the bottom is the is Earth's well, you know, which is the well of all creation. 
And, you know, I, I was there with it and I saw the, the light, the tunnel of light. And I thought, oh, shit, I'm going to die. That's it. And I thought, no, there's a few nurses in here. If I stop breathing, I have a cardiac arrest. Somebody's bound to jump on my chest. So I let myself go with it. And it was just, it was a magnificent, amazing experience. And yeah. I didn't die, obviously, because no. I'm sat here. So what's GAPS? GAPS is gut altered um, psychology and physiology. So, you know, remember how we talked about the microbiome? Yep. Yeah. GAPS is all based about... Um, sorting your microbiome out in your guts and healing the gut. Because when you have a damaged microbiome and damaged sort of gut, you can get things like leaky gut and, you know, all sorts of bacterial yeah. dysbiosis and imbalances, which can affect the rest of the body from um, autoimmune diseases, digestive problems, the list goes on and on. It's about working with um, the microbiome and healing the gut for health so it's, it's used a lot with children with autism and people with mental health problems. And it's something that is used around the world. Yeah. So I, I trained as a GAPS practitioner probably about, um, probably about 10 years ago. Maybe now tell us about the pagan full moon drumming circles that you have. Right. These outdoors it's done outdoors isn't it you go up in the it is and do yeah. It, yeah and one's just been a few days it has, ago yeah. yeah well about 18 months ago my, one of my really good mates dorothy had um had a bit of an experience and we thought maybe that one of the solutions to that experience was to actually go on the moors drumming so you've got two sort of women at midlife mature women with drums on holcomb yes. Moor drumming for full moon and we, it was it was really sort of great. It was very sort of cathartic. And there's a woman with a camera, a strange walker that was filming us thinking, like, we were these two nutters. So when we wrote about it on Facebook and we said that we'd, we just felt really right, drumming with the full moon, me and my mate Dorothy, lots of people said, well, can we come? So next full moon, we had more people drumming. And the next full moon, more people yeah. coming and bringing food. So all last summer and right to this year, we had up to about 100 people bringing the kids, Whoa. bringing food, sharing food, bringing the drums, rattling, dancing. We had tribal dancers. Um, we had people convening, you know, joining us on Holcomb Moor. It'd be really powerful if you've got 100 people, even if half of them are drumming. It's yeah. going to be really powerful, isn't it? It was powerful. Mm. People were saying it was amazing. It was changing the lives. They were having experiences. You know, and this was continuing all sort of through last year up until January yeah. when we decided that we wanted to do one to support some of the fires in Australia and linking with lots of other groups who were trying to do healing. And so we had about over 100 people. When we pulled up in the car park, me and Dorothy and Pete and a few others, we were like, what's going on here? It's like a mini festival and there must have well over 100, 150 people. Up, people just walking up with the families. Have they, have they come up for our drumming? And this is your baby. You started this with two well, of you. Well, me, me and Dorothy, yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, we were up there and with like about 150 people, 100, and we didn't even count them. We, we had a fire pit up there, you know. We had lots of food, kids. A did somebody brought a didgeridoo somebody was doing <laughs> aboriginal chanting somebody had the somebody had the rain sticks and we did we created this powerful energy yeah. um to link in with others in trying to stop some of the fires it was an awesome awesome experience and then after that there was hurricane katrina people were still going up drumming you know yeah. in hurricane katrina and then lockdown came what what struck a chord with me is that you did it on the full moon because the moon has a massive impact on my life and i follow the cycles of the moon yeah very closely and when there's a full moon or when there's a new moon yeah i can feel the difference in my energy my the power really what i have in manifesting it you know it makes a massive difference to me well, it does if you think about the moon that can move the tides yeah. around the planets. What's it doing to our body? Our body's 80%, 85% water. Absolutely. And so this is where the expression, obviously, lunatic comes from, where yeah. in the asylums many years ago, they used to have to double up on staff whenever there was a full moon, and they used to call it water on the brain. But obviously, the moon's gravitational effect on the planet when yeah. there's a high tide is greatest when there's a full moon and hence the greatest effect on the human body as well. Absolutely. And, you know, this is where the tales of werewolves came from and everything else as well. And I believe even still to this day, they have to increase the staff on duty, on the shift, on a full moon. I've Such. heard of things like that. Yeah. I've also heard as well, I mean, I know anybody that does biodynamic gardening, 
you know, is you work with the moon. So you're planting seeds at a dark moon because when you've got a dark moon, that energy goes into the earth. So it's great for plants that are roots or seeds. Or when you're picking, you know, you're picking your potatoes or your carrots, you've got more water. Yeah. And the carrots, no dark moon. And then in the full moon, the, the water actually comes up into the plant. So it's a time traditionally when people pick the fruits and pick above ground things. Yeah. You know, the moon's uh, gravitational effect is greatest on any anything that's got water in it, it's gonna get pulled on those on those nights, isn't it? So absolutely. plants, humans, the planet, the tides, everything. Yeah. yeah. I mean when you think to our ancestors and for native people around the world, you know, those moons have different energies and have different names as well. I mean, the one that's just gone is like um, um, you know, a corn moon, you know, and they all, you know, you've got your different names. You've got like yeah. wolf moons yeah. and pink, you know, strawberry moons. And a moon and waxing and giddyus and all these yeah. different expressions as well. Yeah. So you've got, apart from the phases, you've got the different energy because this is how, you know, you imagine for our own ancestors and indigenous people that are outside more, you're more in touch with the moon and you can see its effects on you. You're watching the phases. I mean, even things like women's menstrual cycles, you know, are very much tuned in with the moon. Yeah. You know, the women are more likely to, um, you know, to either bleed or ovulate at a full moon, usually sort of ovulate at a full moon and then bleed at a dark moon. So you can imagine in, you know, the past, you know, whole tribes of women who live close to the land following the same menstrual patterns according to the moon, you know. So, you know, women can still do that now if they're sort of like, um, you know, opposite, you know, they're out there sort of in the moon. Yeah. So, you know, for us sort of drumming, it's a powerful time and it's a, it was a powerful time to build community as well. You know, get people out there on the land. You know, there's no better feeling than being stood on Holcombe Hill and watching a moon rise, a full moon rise in a clear sky. You know, it's, it lifts your heart up. And then working with the energies of those moons because those moons um, are affected as well by the different zodiac sign they're in. You know, we've just had a Pisces full moon. So people might have seen that that Pisces full moon, they might have felt more emotional. Mm. You know, one of my friends who's got a book out called Arwen Clement, she's just written a little book about um, your birth sign, you know, where, and that cycle of your moon. So where you were born, if you're born under a full moon, then you're more likely to be affected by a full moon in a positive way. But if you're born under a dark moon, that that full moon might not be so, might be more challenging. Yeah, You know, I'm a full moon baby, I was born. I, I don't know what I am, but I, I know what I'm affected by. So I'm assuming yeah. it will, you know... Yeah, I was born on full moon. It, yeah. Virgo full moon, say for me. Full moons mm. are really quite buzzy times, yeah. you know. Edwina, the course you've been running now for about six years, I believe, mm. the hands-on herbal course with another herbalist. Do you want yeah. to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, well... I've always been a very sort of hands-on kind of sort of herbalist and love working with the land. And and it's, Danielle and I um, always wanted to do a course, she, she was a herbalist I trained with, which helped people connect in a very hands-on way to the land and to make their own medicines. So we set up Weeds Wild Medicine, which was a course that ran over... Weeds and wild medicine. Yeah. Weeds and wild medicine. Yeah, because yeah. both of us love weeds. We really wanted to sort of change people's perception about what we call weeds, you mm. know, things that people... There's a stigma attached to them, isn't there? We think they're a nuisance and they can be oh, an amazing yeah. healing plant. Absolutely. I mean, people want to get rid of them, eradicate them, want to put chemicals on them, and yet these are our native medicines. And so we wanted to change the perception of people because you know, that people have, but also be able to empower people into being able to identify and make their own medicines. So the course we were running up to lockdown was over eight months over the seasons at Offshoots, which is in a beautiful, it's a beautiful permaculture garden there. And we were operating from doing our course from this little cabin with a wood burning yep. stove and working with a small number of people, getting them to harvest medicines, doing herbots, getting them to harvest things and make their own medicines and had a tremendous amount of fun. You know, people were making creams and tinctures and infused oils and cough medicines and had such a good people talk about weeds and medicine with such affection. Yeah. And then lockdown came. Yeah. And we were about three days off starting with our new group and had to cancel it. So, which was really sad for us because it was one of those courses that we just love. We get such a vibe from as well. Yeah. And it was like, well, what do we do? You know, we've, we want to still be able to connect people to medicines around them 
especially now when people are on lockdown, but also for us as well, because it was part of our job. And so within about three weeks, we had to learn how to take this course online for five months. And how, how could we do something that was so hands-on, you know, online? Yeah, it's got to be a challenge. It was a big challenge. Mm. So in about three weeks, learned how to build quite a complicated website to do Zoom calls, um, videos, how to make videos. And so we went from having about 13 people on our course to over 90 worldwide. In a funny way, there has been some benefits from things that have gone on. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we were noticing how people were just absolutely yearning for something that was so connected to the land during yeah. lockdown that was helping them to feel better about things that were happening, to feeling more empowered. And so what we created was we, we've done like a... Um, a 90 minute Zoom call we have with people where we do a herb tasting yeah. and help people to connect to the, the key herbs of that month working with the seasons. But we also have lots of how to do videos as well. So, you know, over the last five months and we're just right at the end, we just, we've just got our herbal, our hedgerow one coming up, teaching people how to make medicines from the, you know, the herbs around them. How to, we're doing online virtual herb walks, as well as something that was an interactive Zoom call that people could do a herbal tasting, pick out the herbs, you know, what was healing about it, to talk about things. Yeah. Um, I have a feeling after people watch this video podcast, there's going to be a lot of people that want to get involved and try what you're doing yeah you know. well we've got our last one of the sort of five month one which is the hedgerow medicine one which is working with things like elderberry and hawthorn berries and you know some of those medicines of the hedgerows which are teaching people how to work with uh, which you know anybody can subscribe to even though it's it's the last of um, you know, the five-month one, they are all standalone. Yeah, so you can just join in anyway, you can pitch yeah, in. Yeah, so, yeah, we subscribe. That's about 25 for yeah. sort of each each workshop. And we have a members page on our website with lots of information on and links to videos, and we record the Zoom call. And then we're going to be starting... This lockdown's nearly made you a millionaire, hasn't oh, it? <laughs> yeah, far from it, though, yeah. I mean, it's, it's been a lot of hard work to do the course. I imagine, yeah. We've put a lot of us into it. I mean, it's been a lot of filming, editing, you know, doing handouts. Peter's a photographer, isn't he? You say? He is, yeah. So was he been doing your filming? Yeah, yeah, Pete used to be a filmmaker, corporate R filmmaker, years Fantastic. and years ago. And he's uh, he's got his master's in photography, so we've got some beautiful photographs on yeah. there, beautiful films. But we're just about to start autumn, winter, weeds and wild medicine, with a little bit of a different vibe because we're not obviously going to get a lot of those plants out on the land. So what we decided to work with was supporting people um, during autumn winter so we're looking at things like you know seasonal coughs and colds how we help boost people's immunity um yeah. with things from the kitchen cupboards you know looking at some of the herbs that people can buy and some of the supplements you know how they can help how to use them how to not use them how to work with coughs you know people get lots of different types of coughs what's the best thing how can they make their own cough medicines you know how can they um, make cough sweets we're looking at making things like fire ciders and also with the course we're looking at things like how to help people stay calm you know some of the herbal medicines that you can use to sort yeah. of you know help emotional well-being so you have the two websites you've got one which is weedsandwildmedicine.co.uk yeah that's, and that's predominantly your, your workshops is that right yeah, yeah. weeds and wild medicine is the one that danielle k and myself jointly run and this is predominantly about this course yes. um, and I've got my own website which is Edwina Hodkins Herbalist which is how people get in contact with me as a herbalist but was also my own courses because I was running lots of my own courses and herb yeah. walks before lockdown. So somebody could get in touch with you and have a consultation with you via your own website you know if they've got yeah. an issue and they want uh, yeah. advice or help. Yeah they can make an appointment to see me to see me in clinic or via a Zoom call you know, which, yeah. you know, now with the measing lockdown, where I can get to see people with social distancing measures and guidelines at the clinic in Bolton. So that's always better because quite often people contact me and they think they've got a problem that you're going to be able to offer a solution up with one herb, you know, or yeah. advise them what to get. And herbal medicine doesn't work like that because 
with herbal medicine, it's quite holistic and you're trying to work with a whole person. So it's always good to have a consultation so you can work out the best combination of herbs for somebody. Yeah. And quite often people are on drugs as well. So it's good to look at those herb drug interactions, you know, to keep that prescription safe, you know, and effective for somebody. Yeah. So Edwina Stanforth or Hodkinson. Yeah. Thank you very much for coming on the show. You are very welcome. It's been a privilege to be here. It's been an absolute pleasure. I can't believe the diversity of things that we've chatted about. It's been well, great. Everything's relevant, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I like what we're going to do at the end of this show. We normally put some links at the end of the show and we'll yeah. put links to your both your websites and you also have a YouTube channel. Is that right? Yeah, we do as well. So during when we started with lockdown, we, me and my partner Pete, started to do a series of very short um, videos which were about connecting to the land and local plants. So we did one on nettles, cleavers, um, hawthorn. Um, so, yeah, we, we had a series of videos that people could just watch at home that were very briefly about that plant, but something that they could make. And we were surprised by how many people were watching them. I think it was something that people needed yeah, just to see somebody that was doing something other than sort of like lockdown, you know, and the current pandemic that was connecting them to what was in their garden. And we knew that people were on lockdown and weren't able to go very far. So we wanted to look at herbs that um, were good for people to connect with on the daily exercise walks or in the garden that they could make something from. And the wild garlic one, so many people were making wild garlic barges. Um, and we, we actually did a demonstration of a recipe that it was really um, exciting to see and pleasing to see people do that and drinking nettle tea for the first time and juicing cleavers yeah. and just making things. And your primary social media channel is Facebook, is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's Facebook, you have a YouTube channel, you've got the two websites. Say the names of the websites again for me. There's weedsandwildmedicine.co.uk. Yep. There's Edwina Hodkinson Herbalist. Yes. .co.uk. And I'm going to put links for all those at the end of this show in the text afterwards. Mm. And also you've supplied us with some pictures of some local herbs. And we're going to do a little montage at the end of the show in the extras as well. So there yeah. we go. Again, Edwina, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. And yeah, I've loved every minute. Thank, thank you. you. Thank I've you. I've loved every minute being here, actually. Thank, thank you. you. Okay, folks, I'm going to leave you with a quote from my book, From Pills to Peace. And this is by me, Midnight McBride. And it's quite a simple one this week. It's the more you have, the less you see. And when you start to acquire things, own things, compile things, and own stuff, material things, imagine piling boxes up around you and slowly but surely you become less connected to your environment and nature. So the more you have the less you see. Sometimes it's good to get rid of everything. Just go a bit of wild camping, Edwina, which mm. is what you do. And go and spend some time in nature, maybe on a retreat, disconnect from everything, and just spend some time just being. You can buy my book on Amazon. You can also get it as an audiobook in Audible and on iTunes. You can catch me on the radio every Monday night on Salford City Radio, 94.4 FM with the Mind, Body and Spirit Show, Midnight Till Midnight. You can visit the website, midnightmcbride.com. You can also go to Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram and Facebook. You can subscribe to this channel and there's two new shows out every week on Midnight McBride YouTube channel. And then three days afterwards, they automatically go out on Podbean, Spotify and iTunes as an audio podcast. Whew. See you the same time next week. Shalom.